Welcome back to Sister Allie Cast Tea, where we talk about all things church related. And on today, we are going to continue our journey in the book of Philippians, and we will start at chapter 2. Joy in serving Christ in unity and imitating Christ's humility. Now, Paul began chapter 2, admonishing the saints to have the same mind as Christ. If there be any encouragement in Christ, any brotherly love, any fellowship in the Holy Spirit, and any compassion, Paul asked the saints at Philippi, to give him joy by having the same attitude, the same mindset of love, fellowship, and compassion. Paul teaches, don't do anything to promote yourself. Don't take on a spirit of self-centeredness, but with a humble attitude and think of others as being better than yourselves. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? We can understand that in today's world that many do not truly regard humility as a virtue. It is taken as being timid or ordinary. However, God places absolute importance on humility. To be humble means we will be quick to give credit to God and others for what we accomplish in this life. Yes, To truly be humble, we will be quick to give God credit and give others credit for what we accomplished in this life. Why? Because we do nothing on our own accord. Now, then we can truly have the mindset of Christ. Now, God delights in those who walk in humility. He gives an increased grace to the humble and he resists the proud. You can find that scripture in James 4 and 6. The opposite of humility is pride and arrogance, a haughty spirit and an exaggerated feeling of self-importance. Pride often gloats over one's personal merit, one's superiority and accomplishments. And unfortunately, in this world today, the direction of human nature and the world is toward pride and not humility. Now, Paul is stating not only to be concerned about yourself, but also to be concerned about the interests of others. Now we begin the most profound Christological statement in the Bible. We find that in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5 through 11. Now the quoted scripture in this passage is, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what mind are we talking about? Well, let's take a look at what Paul had to say. Paul emphasizes how Jesus left heaven and took the humble position of a servant. Yes, he did. He became obedient to death on the cross for us. Yet Christ's humility of heart and of mind should be found in us as being his followers. We are called to be just like Jesus. Although although Jesus was in the form of God and equal to God, he thought it not robbery, not a prize to hold on to regardless. In other words, Jesus let go of his privileges and his glory as a deity in heaven. He let that go to all to allow us the benefit of salvation yes jesus did all that to allow us the benefit of salvation and we normally say here in the day's world he didn't have to do it but he did it anyway he did not have to do it he did not have to leave heaven he did not have to let go of all his privileges as being god himself to come down here to earth just to go through what we go through, just to experience what we go through in order to give us the gift of eternal life or allow us the right 
to eternal life, but he did it anyway. Instead, Jesus laid aside equality with God. He voluntarily made himself empty and took upon himself the external appearance of a servant. He became like other humans. He became like you and me. The King James Version states, but made himself of no reputation. Yes, Jesus made himself low. He took away all of that royalty, all of that glory. He came down here with no good name, no favorable or publicly recognized name, no reputation. Can you imagine someone of such humility in the world today? I'm, I'm, uh, talking about not being shy or timid. I'm talking about true humility at this point, to this point of humility, to come uh, to give up your life, to give up your uh, royalty, to give up everything that you have just to humble yourself for somebody else. And I can't say that I ever witnessed this type of humility in my entire life. Now, Jesus gave up his heavenly glory. He gave up his position, his eternal riches, his rights, and the use of his divine attributes. He voluntarily gave it up. He accepted human limitations, such as suffering. We know about those, such as misunderstandings. We definitely know about those. Ill treatment, yes. Hatred, yes and the curse of the of death on the cross he did all of that for us jesus did all of that for you and for me it is such a shame how people can turn their backs on him yes and they do it voluntarily you know they know jesus but then they turn their back you know this is like putting him on the cross a second time when you know god you know to do good you know what's right and you do bad Anyway, it's like you're putting Jesus Christ on the cross a second time. You know, the scripture talks about that. Maybe I'll find that for you one day. But yeah, oh no, maybe you should look it up for yourselves. Yes, look it up for yourself about putting Jesus on the cross a second time for the things that we do, for the things that we take on as believers. It's like we're just crucifying him again. Yes, Jesus retained all of his divine nature and he also took on a fully human nature with its temptations, with its humiliations, and with its weaknesses. Yet he was without sin. He took on a full human nature. Yes, he was tempted and he was humiliated and he was weak. But he did it all and he did it gracefully. He did it without sin. And we can find that in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse starting at verse 14 through 16. How Jesus came down in the likeness of sinful flesh. He is not a high priest that does not uh, or cannot, you know, he knows our infirmities. He, he, can, he can relate to what we go through. He can relate to our weaknesses. He can relate to our temptations, our humiliations. Jesus can relate to it. Why? Because he went through it himself. Therefore, when we pray to the Father, because the scripture says here in Hebrews 4, that that's why we can come boldly, boldly, hear me, you can go boldly before the throne of God and pray with boldness. Why? Because Jesus already did it. Jesus is our mediator between um, God. You have to go through Jesus to get to God. I want to make sure that I am clear about that. You have to go through Jesus Christ in order to get to God. He is our mediator between God, between us and God. Jesus is our mediator. So when we are there, when we go boldly to the throne of grace and we begin to pray and we begin to let Father God know what we're going through and, you know, what we desire, what we need in this life. Jesus understands, say we need strength or we need, um, we need humility. 
We're talking about being humble. We need humility. Jesus understands that. And he's able to talk to the father about it and say, yes, you know, I understand what pride is all about and what humility. And I understand how the enemy, you know, attacks the people or he attacks the saints, you know, want them to walk around in pride as though they have accomplished something on their own accord. When no, it was all the Holy Spirit. It was all God that helped you preach that message that helped you cast out demons. It was not you. It was God. And yes, Jesus will be able to talk to God about it. Why? Because he is the mediator between us and God. And he knows what we go through. Why? Because he came down here to earth in the likeness of human flesh or in human flesh. And he was tempted and he was humiliated and he was tried and he went through everything as we go through today. So he understands us. Now, furthermore, Jesus even humbled himself even the more by becoming obedient to the point of death. And I mean, I'm talking about death on the cross. Yes, Jesus came obedient to going to the cross to die for you and I. This is why God raised him to supreme majesty, Paul tells us. He exalted Jesus highly. Yes, he did. And gave him a name that is above every name. A name honored above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, that is the spiritual beings, angels and everyone that's there, everyone in earth, that is us as being human flesh. That also means Satan and his demons because they're here on earth. And everyone in the world below the earth, that means Satan and his demons because they're in hell. We can consider that hell. They are below the earth. And everyone that, you know, left this life and went to hell. Everyone at the name of Jesus will kneel and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's God exalted him that high that every, everything, everything, I, oh, I like to say everything that has a knee, everything that has breath in their body. I, I even say the animals, they will kneel at the name of Jesus. Why? Because God exalted him. God gave him that um, great honor because he came down here on earth when he didn't have to do it. He voluntarily did it. Let me make that clear. Jesus volunteered to come down here upon the earth amongst man, amongst us, and live accordingly. And he did it with grace. He did it without sin. Therefore, the Father glorified his name. Yes, he did. Now, another scripture that's quoted that we like to quote is, and it reads that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Yes, that what a wonderful scripture to quote. quote. That is one of my favorite scriptures. That is a scripture that you can use in your spiritual warfare. That at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Yes, that means Satan and his demons they are going to bow at the name of Jesus. So you can use that in your spiritual warfare when you are fighting against the devil. This is a scripture that you want to remember. This is a scripture that you want to mutter. This is a scripture that you want to uh, put in your arsenal put in your bag of weapons this scripture is a fighting scripture it is for your warfare against the enemy so remember that scripture it is in the book of philippians chapter 2 now i just happened to hear a pastor tell his story now listen at this now we're still talking about uh bowing every 
Every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Now I begin to hear this pastor tell his story, his testimony about turning away from Buddhism to Christianity. Now he was a Buddhist at the time that he had an encounter with Jesus. You can say just like Paul or Saul did on the road of Damascus. Saul had a encounter with Jesus and Saul, which his name was changed to Paul. So therefore, Paul is the one that wrote the book of Philippians. Yes, his name was Paul, but it was changed to Saul after he had his encounter with Jesus. Now, this pastor had an encounter with Jesus as he was a Buddhist. And he highlighted in his testimony He highlighted the point that Jesus called him son and he answered, yes, Lord. And he answered involuntarily. It wasn't a voluntary response, but guess what? He called Jesus Lord. He talked about how his response was involuntary and how he automatically called Jesus Lord, even though he was a Buddhist. So yes, that is a prime example. I love that testimony. How every knee is going to bow and every tongue, it will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Either you're going to do it voluntarily, which is how I want to do it. I want to do it voluntarily, or you're going to do it involuntarily. Now this testimony began to give me a clear understanding of this scripture. I don't know about you. Also, I want to talk about a statement that I talked about in the first episode of the podcast. I'm dealing with this that the book of Philippians um, does not quote the Old Testament. It does not quote the Old Testament. However, there is a scripture in Isaiah 45 and 23, which touches on this same subject. And it reads in the King James Version, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me, every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear. So it's not an actual quote from the Old Testament, but the Old Testament does uh, talk about how everybody, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that the uh, Jesus is Lord. So therefore, there is uh, something in the Old Testament that hints on this same scripture, even even though it is not a complete quote from the Old Testament. Now, this is how, or this is a show that all, although not every person turns to the Lord in true repentance during this lifetime, not every person will turn to Jesus Christ. However, all people and all beings that's in the spiritual realm and that's in the natural realm will one day either voluntarily or involuntarily bow before Jesus and confess that he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, if you will. Now, Paul calls the saints at Philippi, my beloved, which are his friends. That just puts a smile on my face just to read that because you know this is the letter of joy Paul began to write to the Philippian church and um, it was so much joy in this letter that it's called the letter of joy and yes that it brings joy to my face just to read how he calls them my beloved yes he tells them that they have always obeyed and not only when he was there but even the more that they should obey when he's absent thus he encourages them to work out their soul salvation in the same obedient manner with fear and trembling and this is another scripture that you can quote or is quoted and it's only clause b of this scripture that say that states work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling that is we must cultivate our salvation we must bring it to full effect and we must 
actively pursue spiritual maturity. Yes, we must actively pursue spiritual maturity. Now, I just want to get on a sidebar here because there are many, many, many saints, many, many believers um, that are not mature in the spirit. And let me tell you, I was one of those saints and, and I'm, you know, I'm beginning to mature a little more than I was, but, and, and it is very important that we as saints, we find maturity in the spirit that we pursue it actively because there are many things that we need to know about the spiritual realm in order to survive in this day and in this age and in order to nonetheless fight up against the enemy fight up against satan and his cohorts so you must actively pursue spiritual maturity that means using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that may offend god or discredit the name of jesus christ now we do not do this by mere human efforts on our own accord by our own efforts no but by god's grace and by the holy spirit which he gives to us freely god gives us the holy spirit freely and the holy spirit is here on earth today to help us yes to help us to uh, live and to grow spiritually and to you know learn the things of God and what the Holy Spirit is given to us free it is free of charge so all you have to do is turn from your sinful ways and ask God to empower you with the Holy Spirit let the Holy Spirit fill you on the inside and live with you and teach you and show you the way according to what the scripture tells us now we all should possess a holy fear that trembles at the word of god and calls us to turn away from all our wicked and our evil ways yes we need to turn away from our wicked and evil ways yes in fear and in trembling it is god who produces in us the desires and actions that please him therefore we must do everything without complaining and arguing then we will be free from fault and be innocent in all things yes i did i say free from fault and innocent in all things when we stop our complaining and our arguing especially when we are doing something for god we will be god's children without any faults in the midst of a people who are wicked and corrupt we live in a perverse uh, generation in a world that is wicked and corrupt and we the children of God we have to live without complaining and arguing and and live uh, fault free and innocent so that what so that we can shine like stars among this world so we can shine like stars in the midst of darkness yes the world that we living in it is so dark and corrupt uh, we can say that sin is basically at its highest peak. Well, I'm quite sure it can go higher, but it, it is up there. But we want to be, as believers, we want to be the light that shines in the midst of this dark world, in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of the kingdom of darkness that lives here upon this earth with us. So these are the things that we have to do in order to shine bright to shine bright yes to let your light shine let it shine let it shine let it shine now paul tells the believers to hold on firmly to the word of life then on then one day or on the day that christ returns i should say that paul will be proud that he did not run his race in vain and his work was not in vain his work was not useless so paul is admonishing the saints of that day at the church of philippi and the word of god is also admonishing us today to live you know live hold on to the word of god hold on to the word with everything that we have inside so when christ returns when jesus busts the clouds when we all leave this earth when we go to heaven 
that Paul himself would say, yeah, those are my children. <laughs> yes, I birthed them in the spirit. Paul will be proud that he did not run his race in vain and his work didn't fall down to the ground dead. Yes, let us hold on firmly to the word of life. Paul stated even if he is being poured out um, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of their faith, of the Philippian church's faith, for preaching the message of salvation, he still will rejoice and share the joy with them all. For the same reason, they should also be filled with joy and rejoice with him. Now, let me tell you, Paul loved the Philippian church so much that he was willing to give his own life for them. Yes, Paul was willing to give his own life for them, even if it were for an offering unto God, even if he was put on the altar unto God, uh, a burnt sacrifice. He loved the church of Philippians that much. He loved the people. He loved the believers at Philippi that much that he would even consider himself as being an offering unto God for them. That, that's very deep. I don't know about you, but that's deep to me. These were his spiritual children. Think about it. What would you do for your child or for your children? Wouldn't you die for them? Just think about it. <laughs> I would say the answer is to is the answer to that is yes. Yes, you will. About 99.9% .9 of you all will die for your children. So think about what Paul is thinking about in his heart and his mind at this point in time. He will die for his spiritual children. Paul would rejoice in being a sacrifice just so that the believers would deepen their faith in Jesus Christ. My God, I would love to sit in the presence of someone like this to increase my faith and to grow in God. This man loved the people at Philippi so much that he would consider being a sacrifice just so that they can deepen their faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being in the presence of someone with this mindset? <laughs> My God from Zion, I would love to be in the presence of someone like that so I can increase in my faith and I can grow in God. Yes, yeah, so I can live in humility like the scriptures here are telling us. Yes, yeah, so I can live in joy. Paul said that he would rejoice in being a sacrifice. Now, how many of us can say that I will rejoice in being a sacrifice unto God so that you can deepen your spirituality? Yes, I will do that. How many of us can say that? I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I'm not to that point yet. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt that I am on the road walking in that direction. You hear me? I said walking. I didn't say running. I believe I am walking in that direction. So I would love to sit in the presence of someone with that mindset so I can grow and I can glean, you know, from their experiences. And that will, you know, when you hear somebody's testimony, and, and uh, you know where they've been and how they've come through. You can gain strength from that. And you can gain uh, faith from that. You know, you can increase your faith and say, if, because God is not a respective person. If God can do it for them, of course, he will do it for us. So that is one reason to sit in the presence of someone like that. To, you know, increase your faith to grow in God. Because if God can do it for you. He most definitely can do it for me. If God did it for Paul, you know, even though it was many, many, many years ago, he did it for Paul's. He can absolutely do it for us today because we have, um, they may have came up against different things than what we come up with, come up against today. But, you know, we do come up against things, you know, we're, we're not, uh, um, uh, hung on a tree. We're not, um, 
stoned to death. We're not beat to death. We're not, we have, we haven't went through any of that. The scripture in Romans, uh, the book of Romans, I believe it's Romans 12, or maybe it's Corinthians that says that, um, we have not resisted unto blood. We have not experienced, or at least I haven't. Now, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I have not resisted unto blood. I have not given blood for my walk with Jesus Christ, not as of yet. So, if God can do it for them, I'm most assured that he will do it for us. Now, Paul, in his conclusion to chapter 2, he began to talk on a more personal note to the church at Philippi. And he begins to tell them how he hopes to send Timothy to them soon. So that he may also be encouraged by learning about what they have going on uh, over there. You know, learn the news about them. Paul states that he has no one else like Timothy. Now he... He makes it a point to talk about Timothy. Listen to this. Paul states that he has no one else like Timothy, whom he calls his son, who is of a similar spirit, who is similar to Paul. Timothy will be genuinely concerned for their spiritual welfare, just as Paul. Others who deserted Paul after his arrest yes that sounds familiar when you begin to go through a trial or a tribulation all those who were close to you are saying that they love god or they love jesus they are the first one to make a break for the door and paul said others who deserted him after his arrest they seek only to advance their own interests not the interests of Jesus Christ. So yeah, Paul had to deal with that in his time too. They deserted Paul when he went to prison. They was like, you know, I'm out of here. And we can see that happened also with the disciples in Jesus Christ. You know, when the soldiers went to get Jesus, you know, out of the garden, you know, the disciples, I think about the movie, you know, I could just picture the movie in my mind, how all of them ran. They ran away because, you know, the soldiers wanted to arrest them as well because they were followers of Jesus but Jesus told him no you came to get me and you know basically leave them alone they haven't done you you're after me and take me believe them but let me tell you those disciples they took they took flight they ran yes and and so don't think it's strange when you begin to go through a trial or a tribulation and those that are close to you, those that are around you, those that you thought were your friends, those that you thought were your ace, those that you thought were your, um, what, are, what do we say today, your ride or die. <laughs> yeah, when that ride or die take flight, don't be surprised. Don't be soon shaken in mind. Don't get discouraged. Why? Because the disciples did the same thing to Jesus Christ. And they knew he was the son of God. Why? Because it was fear. Fear gripped their hearts. But you know, they pulled it back together after a bit. But fear gripped their hearts. And fear made them run. Yeah. Yeah, because they didn't want to be crucified. The fear told them to run, basically. But anyway... Let's go on to the scriptures. Paul hoped to send Timothy as soon as he found out what was going on with him and his imprisonment. Also, he had confidence in the Lord that he too would be released and he would be able, able to visit the Philippian church soon. So, Paul also stated that he was sending Epaphroditus back since he had worried that the church heard of his sickness yes Epaphroditus yeah I did this on yesterday and I had it perfect but um yeah he almost died on his trip to Paul because he was a leader or is a leader in the Philippian church and the Philippian church began to send Paul a love offering. Yes, they did. And Epaphroditus is the one that brought the love offering to Rome 
from Philippi, from Macedonia to Rome. And on his journey and his time there, he fell sick and he almost died. So Paul is writing to let the church know, which the church was worried about him, of course. Paul is writing to let them know that he's sending him back to them. Yes, he has um, he has uh, recovered from his sickness and he, he will be returning to them. And um, Paul began to say how he's glad that God had mercy on him and he's glad on Epaphroditus and how God had mercy on him as well. Paul, you know, Paul was already going through grief in prison and if Epaphroditus had died, that would just be more grief on top of the grief that he's already dealing with. So he was glad that God had mercy on both of them. And sending him back would bring joy to the church, of course, because they, they were worried about him. And that joy of the church would relieve Paul of his worry. So Paul was writing to the church, letting them know that he was going to send Epaphroditus back. And he also admonished the church to give Epaphroditus a joyful welcome. Why? They, because he risked his life. And he almost died for the work of Christ just to supply Paul um, the gift offering or the love offering that the church has sent him. So there, Paul want them to uh, welcome him back with joy and to honor him for what he went through and what he did just to service Paul. Now, what did I glean from chapter 2? Well, let's take a look at it. Paul started out with great statements. If there be any comfort in Christ, if there be any love in Christ, if there be any fellowship, if there be any compassion, these statements will make us as Christians today think about Christianity and the church world. Is there any comfort in Christ? Yes, it is. Is there any love in Christ? Yes, it is. Any fellowship? Yes, there's fellowship. Yes, it is. Though some may feel like, hmm, but there is fellowship in Christ. And there is compassion in Christ. Even though that we live in this world today and, you know, many are falling away from God. According to the scriptures, there will be a great falling away in the last days. And according to my next... Um, my next podcast, we're going to be talking about the deconstruction of the church. How many people are leaving Christianity? Yes, they are leaving Christianity. And we're going to find out why they are leaving Christianity. So, and so we can think about this statement in that aspect. Is there any comfort in Christ? Is there any love in Christ? Is there any fellowship in Christ? Is there any compassion in Christ? Yes, it. all of that is in Christ. However, we as people, when we look at Christianity, we have a tendency to look at people instead of looking at Jesus Christ. Yes. When we say that I come to salvation or I am saved or I get saved, we get saved because of Christ. Or even if we go to church, we go to church because of Jesus Christ. What we can get from Jesus Christ or how we can fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is not about the people. Because every man has to work out their own soul salvation. We just talked about that with fear and with trembling. Therefore, that individual or those individuals, they have to work out their salvation just as we have to work out our salvation. So when we go to church, uh, when we think about Christ, yes, we think about comfort, we think about love, we think about fellowship, and we think about compassion. We think about all those things that Paul began to talk about. Yes, it is in Christ. But I must say... It makes you think if you're not thinking with the correct mindset, you will think about people instead of Christ. Now, Paul knew the answer to each statement, which is yes, of course. He wanted the church at Philippi to have the same mindset, the same love 
he wanted everyone on one accord and one mind. And that is what we need today as a church. Listen, we are living in the last and evil days. And let me tell you, the devil is on a rampage to take out the people of God. So we need that unity. We need to be on one accord. You can look at um, uh, how suicide has gone out in the world. You can look at how uh, gun shootings are running rampant. You can look at how, um, let's see, how people are leaving the church. That's the work of the devil. The devil is speaking into their ears. Those are the wiles of the devil. We can look at how um, there's uh, abuse going out in the world sex trafficking we can look at how there is uh physical abuse husband and wives fighting against each other uh, uh laying hands if you will laying hands on each other we can look at all these things these are works of the devil divorce is running rampant yes um young people are on drugs <laughs> old people are on drugs everybody's on drugs you know, in a sense, in a in a state, I'm not saying that everybody do drugs. What I'm saying is all ages do drugs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All age groups. There is somebody in that age group that does drugs. It is running rampant. That is another way that the enemy is fighting up against the people of God with drugs. Yes. So. You know, we have to be on one accord as the church. We need to be on one accord and we need to have one mindset and we need to fight up against the devil. We need to pray. We need to use our weapons of our warfare. We need to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ as Paul did back in his time. We need to basically get on the battlefield. The Bible tells us that the harvest is great. The fields are white with people looking for something. They're looking, actually they're looking for God, but they don't know that they're looking for God. And what are the church, what is the church world doing? We are sitting in those four walls and we are uh, ministering to ourselves. We are, are, are encouraging ourselves instead of going out into the harvest and encouraging those that are out there looking for something. They're longing for love. They're longing for peace. They're longing for joy. They're longing for a, a way out of their situations. And the way is Jesus Christ. But we as the church we are not doing what we're supposed to do. And that's why the devil is running rapid. The kingdom of darkness is running rapid in the world today. Why? Because the church is not on its job. And when I say church, I am talking about in general. I am not pointing a finger at nobody's church. I'm saying the church world in general. I'm talking about Christianity and Christianity is all over this world. There is Christianity everywhere. So I am speaking on Christianity as a whole, as a whole. We need to get out and get into the harvest because let me tell you, Jesus is soon to come. The way this world is going, Jesus is truly soon to come. We are living in the last days and get this. We already talked about it in a previous podcast that this is just the beginning. What we see in the world today is just the beginning of sorrow. This is how Jesus speaks it. He states it is the beginning of sorrow. All of these things that we see is just the beginning. In other words, it is going to get worse. Yes, we're going to pray, but we need to pray. How do we pray? The leaders need to teach us how to pray. What are we going to pray for? We understand that the Bible says that this is the beginning of sorrow. So how do we pray? How do we pray in this time? How do we pray in the last and evil days? Because Jesus said, it shall come to pass. It is going to come to pass. So how do we pray? Can someone teach us how to pray in the last and evil days? 
when we know that the world is going to get worse. We know that shootings are going to get worse. We know that uh, drugs are going to get worse. We know that spousal abuse, uh, family abuse is going to get worse. We know that uh, uh, sexual abuse is going to get worse. We know, we know these things. It's going to get worse. But how do we pray to God? Are there any leaders out there that can tell us how to pray in such a time as this? What do we do? How do we handle it? Yes, many people, many Christians are praying, oh Lord, you know, we want these things to stop. Well, if you know your Bible and you read your Bible, these things are not going to stop. They're going to get worse. Yes, they are. Because many say, oh my God, how can that happen? Oh my God, why is this happening? Why? Because the devil is telling these people to do these things. Or his cohorts, uh, demons, are saying, you know, such and such and such and such. These are called the wiles of the devil. We talked about that in the whole arm of God. If you have not listened to that podcast, I admonish you to go back and listen to that. These are the wiles of the devil. This is what the devil does. He plants seeds in the heart and the minds of individuals. And so they, if they don't have any power, if they don't have the Holy Ghost, if they don't know God, what do they do? They do the things that the devil tell them to do. Yes. That's what they do. They do wickedness and they do evil. Why? Because the devil, the enemy, his cohorts are telling them to do it. And they have no power to resist. So they do it. We are living in the last days, my people. Yes, we are. And according to the word of God in Matthew 24... These are Jesus, his own words. He said that this is just the beginning of sorrow. Can somebody look up that word sorrow? What does sorrow mean? What does it mean? Sorrow. I want you to look it up. Jesus said this is the beginning of sorrow. And and I hate to say it so bluntly. I hate to talk so bluntly, but if we read the scriptures and we understand the word of God and we understand the workings of the spiritual realm, it's just the beginning, honey. It is just the beginning. So where's the church? Are we in on one accord? Are we in unity? Are we of one mind? How do we pray in times like these? How do we deal in times like these? How do we take the word and apply it to our life, our lives, or our life in times like these? Where are the leaders? Where are the leaders? Are they leading us? Or it's all about blessings, 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 and more blessings. Yes, blessings is wonderful. And I want to hear about blessings because I want to be blessed. But I also want to hear about how to fight the devil. I want to hear about how to pray. I want to hear about the wiles of the devil. What am I supposed to expect from the devil? Yes, I want to hear those things as well. So let me reel it back in because I got off on a tantrum there. This is greatly needed in the church today. We have to return to our first love. Yes, you can read about that in the book of Revelations about your first love. But scripture does speak about a great falling away. Just talked about that in the last days. Let nothing be done to exalt yourself, but do it in humility, considering others before yourself. Yep, this is what Paul told us. If we can do this, many fleshly problems of the world today will go away. Now, Paul also said, have the same mind Christ had even unto death he gave up all his royalty to experience life as we do he made his royal self if you will a servant Jesus made his royal self a servant so what do you think about us yeah he humbled himself and became obedient 
to death on the cross, which is a curse. Yes, death on the cross is a curse. You can read it in Galatians, the third chapter, and start at verse 13. Galatians 3 and 13, start there. Death on the cross is a curse, and Jesus became a curse for us. He did it for us. Remember, he voluntarily did it. So that stood out to me. At the, at the name of Jesus, of course, one of my favorite scriptures, everybody shall bow and confess that he is Lord to glorify God the Father. Also, we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We just talked about that. We have to pursue spiritual maturity and we have to avoid offending God or injuring the reputation of Jesus Christ. We must do all things, especially the things that we do for God without murmuring and complaining or murmuring and arguing that we will be free from fault, a child of God living in the midst of a wicked world. Yes, and we will shine bright in the midst of darkness. And Paul is willing to give his life for the Philippian church. He's willing to be a catalyst for the believers to increase their faith. Now, Paul was willing to give his life just so that they can increase their faith in Jesus Christ, my God, and Zion. I don't know about you, but uh, that is just, uh, like I said, the fat lady has sung. I don't know about you, but I would love to sit in the midst of someone with a mind as great as Paul. I want to thank you for listening to Sister Ellicott's Tea on today. Where we talk about all things church related. Yes, we have talked about Philippians. We gave background to Philippians, the book of Philippians. We talked about chapter one and we've talked about chapter two. Our next thing, we will be talking about chapter three, the joy of knowing Christ. Yes. Once again, thank you for listening to Sister Allie Cass T, where we talk about all things church related. And guess what? I will talk to you soon. Love you guys. Bye.